Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, you are listening to episode number 61 of the Familypreneur podcast. When I worked at Facebook, we were assigned clients on a quarterly basis because all of the research identifies that it's the best way to ensure profitability, and that's the same reason why I plan all of my marketing efforts in three-month batches. So if you want to spend less time worrying about marketing your business and more time working in your zone of genius or just playing with your kids, then you need my quarterly campaign planner. This is like three resources in one or something I should be charging for, but I'm not. It is completely free. So go grab your copy today at megbrunson.com slash plan. Now let's introduce today's guest. With over a decade studying and applying principles of emotional intelligence in multinational corporations, today's guest used emotional intelligence to help guide her as a first-time mom. As the mom of five-year-old triplets, when she realized that she wasn't having many of the challenges that other parents had, she started sharing her techniques with others, and We Go Kids was born. Let's welcome the founder of We Go Kids, Sapna Shah. Hi, Sapna. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Meg. Oh, I'm so excited to dive into emotional intelligence with you. But first, I'd love if you talked a little bit about your childhood and growing up and how your parents influenced your entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an only child. Um, and my, my mom is originally from South Africa and my dad is from East Africa. And my dad grew up reading comics from the Western world. And so his dream was always to come to the U.S. And... The dream was also always to have your own business. If you come to America, that's kind of, you know, the foreigner's dream. And so that's what they did. And so we started, um, they bought a hotel uh, almost right off the bat. Uh, They went through some struggles, but eventually bought a hotel. And so I grew up really just watching my parents be entrepreneurs and I thought that's what everybody did. Like I thought everybody gets to work for themselves and everybody kind of has, you know, their own schedules and their own routines and they do whatever they need to do. And, um, they're all on their own time. And so I grew up, um, you know, sitting on the, in the, in the laundry room, sitting on the counter with the laundry lady folding towels and going, you know, walking around with the housekeeper and making beds. And then we had a a restaurant. And so I'd go in and the cook, especially when I was younger, the cook would have me on her hip with one hand and would be (laughs) cooking with the other hand. So I really just always grew up around 
you know, uh, entrepreneurs and, and uh, watching my parents really just build, build a life for themselves. So that was just totally normal for you. Totally normal, totally normal until I, you know, went outside and met friends and they're like, I was like, oh, your parents don't do that. (laughs) You didn't jump right into entrepreneurship yourself, right? You went to towards a traditional employment first. I did. Um, I, um, I got my degree from UF and I minored in entrepreneurship. Um, I would get a business degree with a minor in entrepreneurship because I, I always felt like I had kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, but, um, didn't feel like I had any experience to actually do something myself. And so I felt I would be, uh, there would be much more value for me to go to work for somebody and really learn outside of, you know, my hotel bubble with my parents, what having a boss is really like and what, you know, having to answer to somebody is really like it and, and those kinds of things, you know, to have wins and successes and the failures and, and what all, what is all of that going to feel like to me? So I started working uh, for other, ironically, it was always other entrepreneurs and I worked directly for them. So I got to learn about entrepreneurship in a different way. Oh, I like that. So it was like a little case study. You got to feel things out. And then what came first, parenthood or entrepreneurship? Um, So I worked in human resources and talent acquisition for more than 10 years. And during that time, my husband and I struggled with infertility. And so it was after almost a decade that we uh, were able to become parents. And we uh, hit, the, hit the nail on the head with uh, triplets and had two boys and a girl right off of the bat. <laughs> Done. <laughs> oh, gosh. That, I, coming from somebody who has four kids, I feel like there is a part of me that's insanely jealous of that, like to be able to get pregnant once and be done with it because pregnancy was not my favorite. <laughs> oh, yeah, I totally get it. I was very lucky and had an amazing pregnancy. I think I was just so grateful to be pregnant. I was like, you know, this is awesome, I'm whatever. Um, but I think that there are definitely some advantages to having kids that are all the same age um, who are going through emotional and physical and mental development kind of at the same time. It's very eye-opening from a parenting perspective. Shortly after that point is when you decided to launch your business, right? How did that come about? Because it was really tied to your kids. Yeah, it really was. And you wouldn't think that a woman who just had triplets would be thinking about starting a business, <laughs> which I wasn't. Um, it was ironic because I was scrolling Facebook uh, when the kids were about three months old. And my uh, yoga teacher sent me a message on Facebook and said, um, I'm looking for some cute yoga clothes for my kids, uh, for my grandkids, and I can't find any. Maybe you'll do something with that. And me sitting with three rock and plays three napping babies I just laughed out loud and I'm like yeah I'm not doing anything with that um but it planted a seed and uh you know when I became a parent which you know I a lot of parents I think have this same feeling is that you have no idea what to do 
you know, especially the first time, like there is no handbook. There is nobody that can tell you how you're feeling or how you're going to feel, what you should do. Um, And so I dug back into my emotional intelligence from when, which is what I did when I was in human resources and recruiting. And then I was like, okay, if I just get grounded in this one thing, then maybe I'll feel like a better parent and I'll feel like I'm a successful parent. And so that was it. It was kind of a combination of her message and then me, you know, really digging into what I knew uh, from before having kids. And those two found a great connection for me. And so I started We Go Kids. Well, and before we dive too deep, can we talk about emotional intelligence? Can you break that down? What is it? What does it mean? Absolutely. So the first thing about emotional intelligence is people think that, you know, it's kind of like saying somebody's a smarty pants. And uh, it's actually not. It has nothing to do with IQ or intelligence per se. Um, It really is the study of your own emotions. How do you process your own emotions, label your own emotions? How do you react or not react to your own emotions? And then um, how do you then do that with other people? Can you, how do you empathize with others, understand other people's emotions and how they react and then adjust your behavior or what you do based on that? And it's something that a lot of people, you know, when I first started out, my boss would say, oh, we want to build emotional intelligence in the organization. And I'm like, how in the heck do you do that? And it turns out that emotional intelligence is absolutely 100% something that can be taught. And I find that, um, especially for me and all of the parents that I've coached, kids are born with a heck of a lot of it. And as parents, if we nurture it, and if we, um, if we know how to really nurture it, then it is very easy to raise a child with a high level of emotional intelligence, which has been scientifically proven to be linked to people, adults that are happier, healthier, and have better relationships and are more financially successful. In fact, there's a study that shows that people with higher levels of emotional intelligence earn more than $20,000 more than their counterparts. Whoa, that's crazy. I know, it's crazy. And there are Harvard Harvard study reviews. There was a longitudinal British study that um, tracked babies going from uh, childhood into adulthood for 50 years. And their success and happiness was correlated to their emotional intelligence. So if there's so many benefits to being emotionally intelligent, and you're born with high levels of it, I have to assume somewhere along the line, if it's not taken care of and nurtured, then we lose it. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that really is my, you know, if it's not nurtured uh, from an emotional intelligence perspective, we just teach our kids other things. And we nurture different things. And then those become their strengths, as opposed to the emotional intelligence quality. So it's not necessarily that you lose it because you can't teach it to adults, but it's, it's a lot harder because their strengths lie elsewhere. That makes sense. So what are the tips to, to nurture it as a parent? So there are five pillars to emotional intelligence and that's for no matter how old you are. Um, one is self-awareness, uh, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. 
and I'm going to break each one down briefly so that um, so that everybody uh, can hear. So self awareness is really exactly what it sounds like. It's a strong awareness of yourself. When it comes to parenting, um, what I tell parents is to build a really robust emotional vocabulary. So, and, and this happens from birth. I did it when the triplets were, you know, two or three months old, and now they're almost six. And the emotional vocabulary just really gives them a wide variety of words to choose from to describe how they're feeling. And that is a really powerful tool when you have a two or three-year-old who can say to you, I'm frustrated because you didn't do this. I'm happy because of this. I'm sad because of this. I'm angry because of this. Instead of what you normally hear are, you know, um, tantrum two-year-olds, uh, three-nagers, I heard fornado the other day, and kids who can't, um, who just have tantrums because they don't have the words to label how they're feeling. Well, I haven't heard fornado yet, but, <laughs> for me. but I kind of love it. So <laughs> I'm going to add it to the, to my vocabulary. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so when we talk about an emotional vocabulary and building self-awareness, you know, when you think about it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, and if you're, if you're raising a child who is an entrepreneur and who wants to be an entrepreneur, you're building their inner voice. And that is, again, something that's really powerful for entrepreneurs, right? So how many times do, does something happen to us and our inner voice kicks in and either says, oh, that didn't work because I didn't do this or because I didn't do that or I'm not good enough or, you know, all of these other things. And so when we build a really strong emotional vocabulary and a productive vocabulary, then we kind of start to work on building a positive inner voice, which is what leaders really have around the world. And um, so some of the words that I talk about are, you know, practice, initiative, purpose. And then with emotions, um, I tell parents, use the emotions on yourself. Because a child, if somebody takes my child's toy away, I could say, oh, he's angry because that child took his toy away. But he may not feel that way. So it's more as saying, talking about yourself and the emotions that you feel and what do you do when you feel that way. And then like I would tell my kids, you know, I feel frustrated when you don't behave this way or when I ask you to do something, you don't do it and then you don't tell me why. And then going back to that example of a child taking a toy, you could say, you know, if it were me, if somebody took my toy away, I might feel angry. How do you feel though? And what are you going to do about it now? Hmm. I'm thinking about the ways that I talk to my kids and I feel like I'm doing the, I'm doing what you're saying kind of not to do. And that's saying, Oh, I understand that you're frustrated, even though they didn't say it. Like you're, I'm putting those words into their mouth. Yes. And it's really interesting because I used to do that too. And then one time one of them said, no, I'm not frustrated. I'm like, you're not. <laughs> Oh, okay. I guess I got that wrong. Okay. How do you feel? And then I realized that I, I can't guess what they're feeling because they're their own individuals, even at three years old. So I have to, I have to always ask them or talk about myself and then ask them how they're feeling. 
And it makes a lot of sense. I feel like talking about yourself is, it puts it more into perspective than reading a book. Like I know there's lots of books that talk about emotions. And I always think of that chart with all the faces, Yes, you know, where you ask your child how they're feeling based on what the face looks like. Yeah. But I feel like I like that idea of talking through your emotions with your kids. And I feel like it also lets them know that it's okay to be feeling those things. Like if you're feeling sad or frustrated, it's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more, you know, the more we talk about emotions, the more it just becomes a norm Mm -hmm. in our families. I like it. So what's the next pillar? So the next one is self-regulation. So this is, you know, so now you know what emotions you're feeling. Now what do you do with that? And that, and that really has to do with self-regulation. You know, this is like, do you act or do you not act? You know, what do you, what do you do with those emotions? So self-regulation is the ability to process and respond accordingly to the wide range of emotions and experiences. So a child who can self-regulate is really able to show focused attention, um, control their emotions, uh, manage thinking, behavior, and feelings. So what that means is, and what we do right now is sometimes there are good emotions and bad emotions. Uh, when it comes to children who are entrepreneurs, especially, there are a lot of highs and lows in entrepreneurship. So, you know, they may sell the product that they wanted to or get the speaking gig that they wanted to. And then that's a high emotion and then they're going to get rejected because that's just the world. And so then that's a low emotion. So self-regulation is actually putting into place a process and teaching your child a process for handling all emotions, positive or negative. And what that does is it really keeps them off of that emotional roller coaster. And the way that I teach parents to do it is the foundation is breathing. Hmm. Because there's a physical reaction that your body goes through when you experience an emotion, no matter what it is, a really high high or a really low low. And there's a physical reaction. And the one way that you can deal with all emotions across the board, no matter what they are, no matter what the experience is, is by breathing. Huh. And so it's a really simple, fundamental uh, I teach parents uh, to do this with their newborns to teach conscious breathing from the day they are born through skin to skin contact, but it's something that you can do. So I did it with the triplets when they were born, when they were two, we started teaching it more actively. And I always teach it in, um, during fun times, during having fun. So we're playing a game and having fun and doing a lot of laughing. And I say, we're going to take a breathing break. Okay. How you breathe. And so you can pick whatever breathing works for you, the easy three in and three out and do that three times. So you breathe in on a count of three, you breathe out on a count of three, and you do that three times in a row. That simple, simple, it almost sounds ridiculous at how simple it is, okay? But that one thing is really life-changing for kids because when you teach them how to do that, when they are having the emotions that would naturally lead to a tantrum, or they are having the emotions that come from being rejected from something, when they breathe through it, it actually lessens the intensity of the emotion, which is a physical response. Okay. Then they can, it gives them the time and the space to then mentally decide, how am I going to react now to that? 
you talked about that, like the highs and the lows. So those are those like super exciting times. My daughter had one this morning. I don't even know. It's just thinking about school. She got so excited. Her feet were moving like crazy. She was stepping on toys and didn't even care. Like she just got so excited. So you can yeah. let her have her, her like moment of excitement. Yes. But then the breathing brings her back. Exactly. So I'm so excited to go to school. Let's breathe. <laughs> And so I do it with the triplets when we're going to a birthday party because these kids are so excited about going to their friend's birthday party and doing the rock painting and everything. So for the three minutes before in the car when we're driving there, the last three minutes before we get there is, is breathing. It's quiet in the car and you just breathe. And it just levels them out. And then it when they learn it in that positive thing, that when it becomes a negative, when there's a quote unquote negative emotion or um, a failure or mm-hmm. rejection, you do the same thing. And that builds muscle memory in your body. And one of the most amazing things was my triplet, uh, we gave the triplets bikes for their fourth birthday. And uh, we put, we had the training wheels on them. And one of them is just really acclimated to sports. Like he just really excels in all sports activities. And he wanted us to take the training wheels off. So we did. And he rode the bike. (laughs) But now we have two other kids who now want to ride the bike without training wheels. And literally what they were doing when you get scared is you hold your breath. When you're angry, you hold your breath. And you'll notice, well, I'll notice it as an adult, you know, no matter what, when something bad happens, you hold your breath. And so that's what they were doing. They were holding their breath. And so when I reminded them to breathe after about two hours, they started riding their bikes with two wheels. Wow. It's mind blowing. And it's not just with my kids. I teach this to other parents and I mean, it's just, it's crazy at how well it works. And it's crazy. It's crazy simple. It's crazy simple, but super powerful. Super powerful. Awesome. So what's the next pillar? Now that we've identified our emotions, we're learning how to regulate them. What do we do next? So the third one uh, that I talk about is motivation. And this is like, how do you instill inner drive in a child? How do you get them to be motivated about stuff, right? So it can be as simple as you know, when I was growing up, I would always have a project. Um, I started scrapbooking and I bought all the supplies and everything. And then like a month later, there's like, I still have a box of supplies of scrapbooking stuff and I never scrapbooked anything. So, and kids do the same thing too, right? Like they'll get all of these toys or get me all the Legos or whatever, or let me start this business or let me do this project. But then how do you actually keep them motivated and how do you instill in them that inner drive to do it for themselves. And so for that, this is a, another really simple one, is that I tell parents never to use the word no. Ooh. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you don't tell your child no, because I tell my children no all the time. I just don't use the word. So I can already see my husband's eyes rolling. <laughs> when I tell him we're not going to tell the kids no ever. <laughs> and so here's what you do instead is you give them the why. So uh, my kid wants to eat a cookie before dinner. Um, we're about to eat dinner. Your stomach will think that 
you know, whatever, whatever your family philosophy is on eating, you know, I, you don't want to fill your stomach with sugar, you would let, you know, whatever, or mom, <laughs> just spend the last hour slaving over a stove, and I'd like you to eat a good family meal with us. So, um, and it, and it goes with anything. I mean, anything. So if you have a toddler who is climbing up on something, we, like we say no for everything. So kids don't really understand that there's a difference between why we're saying no for different things. So like when my kids were climbing up on stuff, I would say dangerous. It's dangerous. That's why I don't need to do it. So it's dangerous, but I would never say no. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but dangerous was a big one. So when you don't say no and you give them the why, what it does is, number one, they will not say the no, no to you. They will always give you the why. So I want you to put your homework away and do this. They won't say no. They'll tell you why they won't do it, which, you know, sometimes it's, well, I just have one question to finish and then, and then I'll put it away and that's totally fine. So that's, that's one. When it comes to entrepreneurs or kids who are entrepreneurs, there's a lot of rejection associated with entrepreneurship. So when they get a no, they ask why. They ask questions to get to the reason behind why they're being, why there's rejection. So why is somebody telling me, no, they don't want to buy my product? Or why is somebody telling me, no, I'm not, a, I can't be a speaker at this event? Or why is somebody telling me, no, they don't want to buy my book? And it teaches, it teaches our kids to not take it as a personal rejection because no is not a personal rejection. It teaches them to flip it and say, okay, no, but tell, you have to tell me why. And a lot of times when a kid will understand why, they'll either turn the no into a yes or they'll be able to improve for next time. I like that. And I like that you gave the example of danger because I definitely was missing that. Even when you said replace it with the why, I, I still m- missed it. And I think as a parent, and I think you'll, you'll get this, sometimes it needs to be a one word. Like you need to be able to just say a word yes. and get your point across. So being able to say dangerous or something similar to that, of course, I can't think of another example either. I love the concept of the kids telling us why they don't want to do something rather than just that they don't want to do it. We get a lot of my, my five-year-old is notorious for just saying don't want to. And it's like, okay, but... To be able to elicit some of that why out of her will help us as parents to be able to get through whatever's blocking her, whether it's something tangible that we can fix or or not. We have to teach it to them, right? So the way that we teach it is by not using no either, is we tell them the why. So I had um, one of my sons was scared to death of the blender. So I would turn the blender on and he would start screaming and I... I didn't connect the two for a while. And then once I connected it, then I would ask him, then I was able to ask him like, why don't you like the blender? Loud noise. Okay. It's a loud noise. And then how are you feeling about that? He would say scared, loud noise, scared. And he was able at a really young age to be able to communicate with me so that I could understand it. So for a little while I stopped using the blender and then I start working on him to get him. And now it's like no big deal. So interesting. So after motivation. Yep. So after motivation is empathy and empathy is something that we hear a lot. You know, how do you empathize with somebody? How do you, um, 
put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I talk about, um, when I talk about entrepreneurship, I talk about, and I hate to keep using the word rejection because it's so negative, but we do as entrepreneurs, we hear, we get a lot of rejection. We hear a lot of no's. And when it comes to empathy, it really does is another tool again, to flip that, to say, okay, but why? And let me understand your position because it probably has nothing to do with me. So empathy is a lot about building in a, in a child the resilience to know that acceptance or rejection really has very little to do with them, almost nothing to do with them. It has to do with the other person. And we do that by building empathy and, and teaching them that other people have emotions, other people have things going on in their lives. So you may not have gotten this speaking gig because this person is in Atlanta and didn't want to buy your plane ticket to fly out or, you know, it has nothing to do with you. And so we can help them with that by building empathy. And the only way though, the best way to teach empathy is really to model it yourself. So um, I always use the analogy of the person cutting me off in traffic. So I talked to the kids about that. You know, that person was driving dangerously and cut me off in traffic. She must be having a really bad day, had something really bad happen to her, uh, be really late to pick up her kids from school. Like, you know, it could be any one of those things. So my job is to breathe and then move on with my life. So that's how I teach parents to start teaching empathy. And then as kids get older or as they get more used to hearing it from you, you'll hear them mimic it back. You'll hear them, you'll see the, the gears turning and you'll, and you'll hear them using those words as well. And I feel like in our house, empathy is one of those things that our kids are still very strong at. That's awesome. I think that they may need more support in some of the other pillars, but I think empathy they seem to have down. Is it kind of common that like you'll see one of the pillars be more prevalent in your kids than others? Like already? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's really like anything. A kid may be better at math than they are at English, or a kid may be better at, you know, something where they may enjoy sports more than they do this. It's the same thing with with emotional intelligence. The powerful tool is that if you nurture the other ones, you still continue to build the emotional intelligence level overall. And keep focusing on the empathy uh, because it can't it can go away. Yeah. Or they can't forget how to use it. So when you nurture emotional intelligence, you just build all of their all of their tools. Now what about number five? We're at five now, right? Yeah. So five uh five are social skills. So this is, you know, how do kids interact with each other? How do kids interact with adults? And the one tool um that I have found to be most powerful is the gratitude practice. Oh. And so there are a lot of reasons, and, and I'll talk about them briefly. Uh, I'll give you a link. There are three simple steps to start a family gratitude practice. Uh, parents can download that for free and, um, and start their own gratitude practice. But what gratitude does is it brings kids' minds to the present. So the way that we started gratitude um, was – in the car after any activity. So it's a trip to the grocery store, uh, somebody's birthday party, whatever, a trip to the library, whatever it is we do in the car on the way back, 
we start with, I am grateful for, and we speak specifically to things that just happened. So at the library, I could say, I am grateful that um, the triplets used their walking feet in the library, that they each picked three books uh, to read this week, and that the librarian made us laugh. And then I would turn to one of the other kids and say, you know, use their name and say, what are you grateful for? And so in our car rides, it's always gratitude. And after the first few days, the kids started it themselves. But what it does is it actually, when they're in the library, they know that on the way home, they're going to give their gratitude. So they are focused, they're present in the moment. They're not focused on what am I going to do when I get home? Um, You know, and they're not really focused on all the other stuff, like the kid that took my toy or, or um, I couldn't find my book or my mom didn't let me get that video to rent. They're really focused on what are the nice things that are happening because when I get in the car, I'm going to have to give gratitude. I'm going to have to share with everybody what I'm grateful for. And so it's a really powerful tool in number one, bringing kids to the present moment and number two, teaching them to focus on the good things that happen to them. So every car ride, that's what the plan is. Every car ride we get in. In the, uh, in the beginning, to remind myself, I put a sticky note on my rearview mirror, gratitude. And so every car ride, I mean, literally, maybe the first four or five times I had to start it. And after that, when they were uh, buckling up, they would, they would just start. And now, sometimes even like I won't even remember and they'll start uh, gratitude. I'm glad you mentioned the sticky note because I was thinking I'd be the reason that failed. Right. Yes. Sticky notes until the kids pick it up and then they'll, and they'll run with it. Especially since you have four, the nice thing about having more than one child is that they feed off of each other. And so even if somebody's not having such a great day, the other two are okay. And so, um, they're focusing on gratitude. And so the third one kind of, it helps pull them out of that. And then do you do anything like that at home? Like if you don't leave for the day or, or things like that? Do you do like morning? I know some people do like morning gratitude journals and stuff like that. Yeah, there are lots of different uh, variations of that. In our home, um, we do gratitude in the car and then we do gratitude before bed uh, to for them to focus on all of the good things that happen during their day. You know, do whatever works for your family. If it's mealtime that works for your family or, you know, if a morning gratitude, you know, on the way – right before dropping them off at school. It's a great way to start the day, whatever works for your family. But if you do consistency and practice, that's true with all of these tools, consistency and practice. So you do them every day, stay consistent, practice it. And it is totally incredible and shocking as to how things will shift. Well, I'm definitely going to, we'll definitely know all that out. So we'll have like bullets. So if somebody feels like, oh shoot, what was number two again? They can yes. go back and look at the notes. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear about the your business and and how that all plays into this. Yeah, so we so we go kids started uh, with a clothing line for kids. Um, I based it off of yoga because yoga was how I learned the deep breathing and then how I started to teach it to the kids. And what the clothing line are animal characters doing the yoga poses named after them. So it's a puppy that does down dog. It's a turtle that does turtle pose. And they're just really cute characters that kids love to see. And so when they're wearing their We Go Kids clothes, and we also have a line of positive pants because we're all po- we have 
you know, put on your positive pants. If you're not going to be positive, go change your clothes. And that, and I did that with the triplet. That was at two years old. The way that I taught them between the difference between a positive and negative behavior was you can wear your positive pants or you go change your clothes. And the positive pants were funky colored clothes that they really loved. And go change your clothes was like a pair of black pants or gray pants. <laughs> That's so funny. So we have, uh, so we have the organic cotton clothing line, and then uh, we also started last year. We started a parenting network, and so we do TV shows and podcasts, um, and it's all about raising kids with an emotional intelligence perspective. I love how you how you've grown and pivoted from just the clothing to including the emotional support. Yeah, I was getting a lot of questions about, um, because in the beginning, I would sell the clothes at uh, local markets. And so I'd have a lot of conversations with parents, and they loved the clothes, they'll buy the clothes, we go from newborn to age six, so it's a great baby shower gift. And then I would get the, so how are you here? And you have triplets, and you blah, 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 blah. Or how do you get them to all all go to sleep at the same time and how do you you know know when to feed them and how do you what do you do with the tantrums and how do you do this and how do you do that and uh, it's like you know there are a lot of books and blogs and things about parenting out there but these people still have questions these parents still have questions and I had questions when I had kids and so I realized that there was this huge kind of emotional component that was missing to the parenting journey from when you become pregnant all the way to when you have kids and then it continuously changes along the way. And so that's what we provide. We're that daily emotional connection for parents. Well, I absolutely love it. And I'd love if you shared where people could connect with you, whether it's We Go Kids or the Parent Network. Give us all the links. Absolutely. So the easiest way to find us is raisingei.com. That's raising emotional intelligence. It's raisingei.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sapna. This was amazing. And I'm so glad that you got to join me and share so much value. Thanks so much for having me, Meg. I really had a lot of fun. You'll find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash 61. Are you subscribed to the podcast? If not, now is the time to do it. Whatever platform you're listening on, go back and take a look. Find the subscribe button and hit it. We've got a lot more great content coming up for you. Over the course of the next week on Friday, we are going to talk about date nights. We do not have babysitters and we are too frugal to pay for babysitters. So we're going to talk a little bit about date nights and how we balance self-care and our marriage with the kids, the family, the business, and all of that good stuff. Then on Monday, we'll talk about networking on Facebook. So over the past couple Mondays, we've talked about controlling your newsfeed as well as privacy concerns and accepting friend requests. And this week, we're going to take it a step further to talk about networking the right way so that you are successful in your networking attempts and you're not coming off as slimy or sleazy to your new friends. And of course, next Wednesday, we'll be back with another amazing interview with Lindsay McCarthy. You're not going to want to miss it. Thanks, guys. Have a great week, and I hope to see you back here on Friday and Monday. Bye now. 
Want to connect with other like-minded parent entrepreneurs? Join the discussions in our official Facebook group. You can find it at familypreneurcommunity.com. <laughs>